Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How you doing, Internet? It is June 19th, 2017. I had to look at that to make sure. I am not Austin Walker. I'm going to let you know that right now. I'm Danielle Riendo. I am covering for Austin Walker because he's recovering from, like, advanced E3. He has, like, a really bad case of E3. E3 got him. So, so you're getting me. You're also getting our awesome summer intern, Natalie Watson. Say hello, Natalie. Hello, all. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah, it's going, it's going pretty well. Uh, we were on the home team this past E3, but yes. we, we have a, a refugee from our away team here, uh, Rob Zachney, who also survived E3. I think it was easier for me, right? Because like, I didn't have to go like climb aboard the giant metal tube full of sick people for <laughs> six hours each way, so I think I probably got off lightly this E3, which is a... Which is the first for me, really. Oh, that's good. We're going to talk a little bit about our E3 experiences. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, games we're excited about and actually remembered yes. from the show, which I think is probably a good idea. Then we'll dip into the bucket, and then we're probably going to... That's going to be our uh, our agenda for today. So, so, Rob, you were actually there. Was there a game that really stood out to you, or was there an experience? Was it like a, well, I made it through. I survived, so <laughs> that's what I care <laughs> oh, about. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm probably dwelling too much on the last night just because I'm in the process of writing up that interview. Sure. Uh, so that's like that is a game that I am in a weird place with because the ideas sketched out are super interesting to me, but the, the ideas for the game design are like yes. super interesting to me. The ideas behind the game design I'm way more skeptical of, uh, and then that also ties into there are a lot of issues with people uh, who sort of fall into who can who sort of like fall into problematic camps. Sure. So should we should we uh, lay this out just in case anybody doesn't know what the last night is? I think we can give a really cursory precy. It's uh, cyberpunk. It's cyberpunk point. game with some issues. That's all you need to know. All right. Yeah. Good. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah. So it's it's a cyberpunk game with just a a, a little bit of you know some some light gamergate. Uh, There's a little light gamergate sprinkled upon it. Yes, yeah. a garnish. Yes, <laughs> it's carrying a little baggage, and I think the the thing that I'm really sort of wondering about as as I think about like how to how to frame this and how to approach this moving forward is also like what we really make of people who believed and did shitty things, but still have the potential to grow out and grow beyond that, but haven't yet demonstrated that they're there or that yeah. they're they're willing to. That's something I worry about because I, I do fear that someone like this is uh, someone like Tim Sorat is liable to just get dogpiled for for months uh, at this point. Sure, and I worry a little too much about like putting people in boxes from which they're never going to escape when they're still like in development people right. uh, in, in some way. Like it, it is going back to that you know early twenties. Those are those are big years. 
also old enough to know better. Yeah. So yeah, it's something I'm sort of wrestling with is I'm not sure this person deserves the benefit of the doubt, but I am sort of interested in like how you open a door for people to sort of you know, salvage themselves. To, to uh, grow to from, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a lot of complex feelings about this game as well. Of course, the first time I saw it, it was a Game Jam game, like three years ago. And we had a whole goof on Idle Thumbs, actually, about this game. Like, it was a whole funny thing. Like, oh, I played this fun little cyberpunk co-op killer. It was this whole <laughs> little goof that we had. And then we sort of learned about this person's, some of the things that they had said on Twitter, basically some very not awesome things. And, and so it's... It's this weird kind of thing where it's like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> where do I fall on this and where do I stand on this and how are we going to kind of uh, find our way out? How are we going to dig our way out of this situation? And speaking of sort of everyone in the entire situation, the creator and fans and sort of all of us in gaming, how do we, how do we find ways to rectify these situations, sort of as Rob is saying? So I don't have any answers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, can can the game, like, stand without its creator? It's, it's like an yeah. age-old question of, like, the whole, like, death-to-the-author argument. Like, I feel like games especially are so kind of... I feel like the creator or the developer is even more woven into the game itself or the work itself, medium itself, than other mediums sure. of, like, similar... Um, Similar, like, team collaboration kind of Yeah, yeah. Deals, so yeah. I feel like you think, like, oh, well, can the game be without its its uh, creator's ideologies or without its creator's Which it problematic- seems to have. That's, yeah. that's the thing everybody's kind of, I think, digging into. It's yeah. like, oh, some of the things they've said about the actual narrative of this game is yeah. that it's like a socialist dystopia. Where yeah. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> If it right. was like Flappy Bird, I mean, I think we could. We could I don't know. Right, right. No, that's a <laughs> if good If it wasn't, point. if it wasn't a game with its own sort of ideology-based narrative yeah. or its, its own sort of social constructs within it, would it be the same conversation? Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Yeah, and I, I think you know something I was sort of mulling over is that as I was sort of approaching this and listening to this interview again. There's also an element of. The cyberpunk dystopia, the like as written from a place of like kind of extreme privilege in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the dystopian part of it is that it's a fear of losing what makes you special, what gives like you your privilege. Like the the fear of what does what does creativity mean in this world if if everyone's just leading leading this life of leisure? Well, you know, I imagine a world where people have that opportunity and that freedom looks potentially a lot more creative to someone who is working two minimum wage jobs. Yeah. And that doesn't sound dystopian at all. Like, oh, what's going to happen to creativity in that world? Well, if you're coming from to if you're if you're coming to it from a place that's like hasn't had the luxury to like pursue your your creative passions, mm-hmm. uh, that world actually becomes sort of more empowering. And so the, the the dread behind a world like this is that, well, you know, I'm I'm a graphic designer. You know, I'm a, I'm a game designer and I've won the marketplace lottery that lets <laughs> me pursue this as yeah. my full-time job. But what if that lottery goes away? Then what? That's horrible. And it only looks horrible if you're really placing a value on the fact that you can do something and that others can't. And I think that's the other part that I, I think... Uh, and I'm not. I'm not sure this creator's really self-aware of that, or sure. or really perceives it. But like the more I think about it, the more that really seems like a major part of the issue. 
yeah. uh, at, at this point. Yeah, I completely agree. How many more artists would there be if we all actually had health care and, you know, <laughs> a standard of living? And <laughs> that's not it, terrible and that sort of thing. It's, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm curious, like, because, you know, we went over this on the on the podcast last week. And, Danielle, you and I have just had this conversation about still a young person, still very much in development. Like, you got to give them a chance to sort of rehabilitate themselves. But then I am curious for... Natalie's point of view, because like you're not one of the, the old young yet. person. You're not old yet. You're not one of our That's old your crusty people. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious how how many how many mulligans do you, do you give uh, <laughs> someone that's an early twenties dude? Yeah. Uh, who's done said some shitty things? It's difficult because it also really depends on who's listening and responding to this guy. Like, yeah. is it an echo chamber? Is it like people who are actively or constructively saying, like, hey, this isn't cool. Like, right. hey, this is actually not what you think it is. And, I mean, I've had problems. Like, it, it's like this idea of, like, playing devil's advocate almost. That's, like, very, very prominent. I've had a lot of, maybe not problems, but tensions with this, like, idea of playing devil's advocate in classrooms, in, like, especially, like, my philosophy or critical theory classrooms that people just want to kind of be the contrarian for for the entertainment of being the contrarian and for the pleasure of it yeah ideologies are not something to like entertain yourself with and i feel like unless you're being called out for it if you're just like if it's just reverberating back to you from your surroundings or from the people that you surround yourself with there's there's nothing's going to change so i think it's definitely worth you know continuing to have conversations with these people and just trying to kind of point out in like a constructive way because i don't know it's it's very frustrating when it like it comes with like a smirk or it comes yes. with kind of like a, a cheeky sort of that's what I think is more harmful almost because it's like actively consciously engaging in something that you know is counter or is yeah. purposely trying to hurt instead yes. of uh, make some sort of steps towards yeah. <laughs> something yeah. Uh, yeah. positive. Yeah. The devil's advocate position is like definitely the, you know, I'm not touching you of like yeah. ideology. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, yeah. it is done that it is done in that, hey, I'm actually providing you a service and you should be grateful because like I'm piercing your echo chamber and all I'm doing is just like letting the other side have its due. And I think, yeah, the more time goes by Devil don't need no fucking advocate. <laughs> like, <laughs> Devil's got plenty of yeah. advocates. Yeah, uh, I don't think I don't think we need you. Uh, so yeah, I I definitely feel that, and that is a major feature of college life. This idea that the argument should be this magical space where uh, feelings and identities never get caught up in it, mm. and it's that is just a the stone's throw table. from. I don't understand why you're being yeah. emotional. Yeah. yeah. God. Yeah. Which is in itself like the most sexist thing anybody can ever say, right? God, why do you have feelings? It's, it's like, like, okay, um, thanks. <laughs> Human beings have feelings. I, yeah, you know. This is what sets us apart. It's hard. <laughs> so yeah. I was at E3, like, we podcasted a lot talking about There were about a few stuff. of those. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it went on. So, like, 
you know, I think we have a good sense of like what I saw and what I was thinking about E3, but I'm curious, like from from the home team perspective, like watching it at a remove, what was really sticking with you guys? Natalie, it was your first E3, so I'm going to let you go ahead and answer that one first. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, this was... Um, I think it was your first E3. Well, I mean, I've followed E3 in the past, okay. not from... I don't think as diligently or as meticulously as I followed it this time sure, around. Sure. Um, this time around. The presentations I thought were like, all right, they're kind of typical present except for sure. the devolver, obviously. Oh which yeah, was, that was a bit of a That was a bit of a uh, of a <laughs> sidestep into something else. <laughs> sure. Um but I was really fascinated by the inclusion of the Coliseum. Yeah. Um, this year and like this I- idea of having all these like panelists and like series of panels to like discuss different topics in games which isn't a traditional sort of thing of E3 so I had some reactions <laughs> um, yeah you wrote about the Neil deGrasse Tyson sort yes. of uh, going toe to toe with with James Gunn about critical reception of game, whether something can be good if it's successful or, or vice versa, basically, yeah. which was very interesting when that happened. Yeah. I had a very strong reaction to that. Like, do we create, like, a one universal kind of criteria, metric, or, yeah, metric yeah. of judgment for all mediums of entertainment, especially movies and games, since they're, like, coming into this, like, one space? They're starting to be, like, James Gunn is sitting with. I'm sorry, Kiki Wolf. Kill. Yeah, Kiki it Wolf. Was yeah, Randy exactly. Pitchford. It yeah. was all James Gunn. It yeah. was Neil deGrasse Tyson. It was a yeah. very interesting <laughs> mix of people at this Coliseum panel. Yeah, and it was about. It was ostensibly about world building. World building. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't really think they ever really talked about. Address <laughs> <laughs> world building. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like most of the panels actually got away from which is. It happens. It happens. <laughs> Panels, I mean, it's it's quite difficult to keep to one topic, especially when you have people coming from so many different backgrounds. Yeah. And how much did they get to discuss kind of what they were going to talk about before sitting down to the panel? Like, I think that's super crucial to have the panelists in conversation with each other before sitting down to have an idea of what kind of questions are going to be asked by the host, who is Chris Hardwick in yes. this case. Yes. Yeah, so I think the inclusion of panels I was really excited about, but I I didn't watch, I don't know, there wasn't a single panel that I felt like, yes, like right on, things are being said here. Yeah. I felt like it was a lot of continuing with like the presentations, like a lot of like self-promotion, which is like fair, but not really like a discussion of concepts, which I was hoping for. Yeah, that's more of a... You'll see if you if you continue to cover this world, but that's more of a GDC thing where things yeah. actually kind of get into the meat of development and yeah. ideas and, and that sort of thing versus a PAX or yeah. a, what this was, which was basically the Coliseum was basically it felt like a lot of PAX panels to yeah. me anyway, you yeah. know, more promotional element, yeah. which again, I, that goes along with E3 and so yeah. forth. Talking about sort of the shows and the expo kind of stuff, what struck me was both that E3 got extended for two days <laughs> <laughs> this year and also that most of the press events were actually shorter than usual. Not EA, um, but Bethesda was like a maybe forty minutes. I think yeah. it was. It was pretty quick. It was pretty much like trailer, 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 trailer. There wasn't like a last year at Bethesda's event. There was you know a Dishonored two sort of like 
beautiful walk through the levels. You know, it's sort of like a little bit of a level design dive. And that was my favorite part, probably, of Bethesda's event last year. This year it was like, here's what's up, here's what's up, here's what's up, here's what's up. And it stuck to a theme, that sort of theme park theme of Bethesda Land or whatever, mm-hmm. which was, was kind of nice. I So I dug that one for being fairly consistent. Uh, the Ubisoft event was much shorter than usual as well. Uh, I really missed Aisha Tyler from that, because she usually does a, an amazing job kind of keeping things together. But... It was also lovely because it was like a very positive event. It was very yes. much like Eve's was up there smiling, being a beautiful tiny man, and uh, <laughs> there was so much love in that in that room. There, there was were two so crying love. men, which was lovely, you know. And I, I don't say that to be facetious. It was actually very like very charming and sweet. There it were was. two creators who uh, Michelle Ansel teared mm-hmm. up at the reception of the Beyond Good and Evil two trailer demo. However, you know what what they showed for Beyond Good and Evil two. And it was uh, David Solani. I, yeah, I, I was say about to look name. up his name. Cool. The the uh, I want to try to get it right. Mario versus Rabbids Kingdom Battle uh, creator yes. who who teared up because Shigeru Miyamoto was talking so highly of his work, and it was like this really heartwarming. E three is usually not a heartwarming, yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. But it's this like, was very like, oh yeah, explosion, awesome, exactly, righteous. <laughs> it's a very you know <laughs> like, awesome pool explosion. Yeah. It's very yeah. it's very like that typically, but. This was very like, oh, that was that was nice. And yeah. then all the developers kind of got up at the end, and Eves was like, "Thank you to all the teams. They worked so hard." And it was like, oh man, this is really yeah. I- when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I know it's a manufactured E3 thing, but it felt it felt closer to home than most those events. And then Nintendo had like a 20 minute presentation. Yeah. So everything was like pretty, pretty quick. typical of yeah. Nintendo. And yes. Sony did like a, uh, like a huge pre show. And yes, instead- where half, half of everything they showed, anything under like a certain million, <laughs> however many millions of dollars of budget was like in the pre show. Yeah. And then all the Which big kind of stuff. Wacky. Yeah, and Nintendo little- did sort of the same thing with their post show. Yes. They like announced. I think they announced the Mario Luigi Superstar Saga yes. remake, or not remake, remaster. Metroid yeah. 2 Metroid remaster, 2. which Rob also saw at the show, playing the game. I heard about that. I saw that video. I made that video, actually. That was that was one of mine, so <laughs> I you heard all about, about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I heard all about it. If you haven't heard all about it, you should totally go to our YouTube, <laughs> Waypoint Vice. Also, uh, right there on our website, waypoint.vice.com, where all of our E3 videos are. They're great. I don't know. I think they're, I think they're pretty nice. They're plentiful, if nothing else. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many great videos. Uh, yeah, I should probably do the shout-outs thing right now to everybody who helped cover E3 for us, our production team, to Dylan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout-out to Tim also, just because, Tim, you're great. You know, he's making this podcast right now. But everybody did good work at E3. And unless we have other E3 thoughts, we should, we should move on to the question bucket. Any any more thoughts? Rob, you might be exhausted of thoughts. I I have no more thoughts on E3. Thought okay. it out. <laughs> That's good. Can't wait for next year. All right. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a dip, 
little dip, a little dive, a little, you know, spelunking into the question bucket here. All right, we've got our first question. Dear Waypoint, does buying slash playing slash covering games that include voice actors who scab during the SAG after strike help the anti-union position? Should the games press boycott buying and covering these releases? Thanks, James. Wow. James starting off with a banger. Yeah. Right here. Wow. That's uh All right, so ideologically speaking, is this akin to crossing a line? Is is buying the product if you go into the supermarket when when the workers are picketing and you buy your apples or whatever, is that, you know, that's one thing, I suppose, versus you're buying this product but it's supporting these other folks. I don't know. I it, this is this is a fine line here. But we're also supposed to be kind of this like objective presentation of facts or news or well that's the do the journalistic have- uh you know that that whole thing which also is also ideology. complex yeah so <laughs> but but i think it's it's a different answer depending on where you where you yeah. sit on this like i think as journalists no you can't you can't not cover it because that's also a good way to not cover the to strike at all like if you're if, if right. you're ignoring the entire thing then you then you're ignoring the implications of that there are conversations to be had in journalism about who you give a platform to and the prominence you give For certain sure. opinions over others. That's definitely part of the conversation. But no, you like this thing exists. This issue cropped up, and it's it's worth discussing. And I and I think probably that performance is going to be under a lot of scrutiny. Uh, that that is going to be that is going to be a performance that uh, critics are probably going to be listening to pretty hard. I think that's fair. I know somebody here in uh, in chat is making a little bit of a joke about it, but says, what if I buy the game, but I put it on mute? And that's sort of like a very, I know it's a joke, but it's actually kind of like, is there a way of doing this and like having your cake and eating it too yeah. kind of thing? I don't know if that's... I don't think there is. I don't think there is either. <laughs> this This is awkward, right? Like this is, I think for a lot of reasons, the kind of game we are happy exists and want to play and support. And at the same time, there are labor practices behind that game that we might also uh, not want to support. Yes. And that's, you know, <laughs> there it is. Like, this is the shitty thing about voting with your dollars. Like, what the hell are you voting for here? Like, right. how do you How do you vote for, yes, more stories of queer ladies, no to <laughs> screwing over union workers? Yes. I don't know. I don't know how to how to do that, but I, I think I would probably if that's if if that's an issue you feel passionately about, you probably want to want to give it a miss. Like you know, my New England buddies will remember this. Uh, there was a huge market basket strike uh, yes. a couple of years ago, um, and that was one of the most affordable and best uh, like grocery stores in New England. And we stopped going there for like two months because. You either care about this or you don't. You you can't be like, I care about it until it affects the thing I want. Right. And then to hell with it. Right. Once things get difficult, that's when it actually matters to uh, actually put action behind your your ideology. I, I, I keep thinking of this and I keep thinking about going even a little bit further with this question. Does buying a game from a studio that is known for, for bad labor practices or, or crappy labor practices, that does that in itself, is that in itself uh, kind of a negative thing? You know, we're not going to talk about EA spouses if that's the only thing in the world, but during that time frame, were people buying EA games supporting these crappy labor practices? Is that is that how far this goes? Is that how far our voting with our dollars kind of goes down the line here? I don't know. 
again, I don't have answers to these questions. Yeah. I'm just framing them. <laughs> I guess where I get uncomfortable with the limitations of this is a lot of times it feels like the powers that be want to make the people with the least power in a situation be the most complicit in the evils of it, right? The whole, yeah. like, you know, well... You know, you can, you can have a higher minimum wage, but do you really want to be paying $12 for a Big Mac? Right. And, like, you know, the thing is, I think a lot of people would probably be willing to pay more for things that were more ethically produced and more, uh, you know, humane, humanely produced. If we actually had a system that benefited everybody in actual sort of concrete ways. Yeah, I yeah. I like to think that. <laughs> like if my if my utility bill came with a look, your carbon footprint's getting really, really bad, dude. And here's 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 the thing. But instead you just you don't really get that. And and you're also told your individual choices are going to be kind of a drop in the bucket and kind of meaningless. So yeah, I mean we're 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 somewhat complicit in that, but also who's the most complicit in it is people resisting labor organizing, resisting labor regulation. There's this interesting thing that went up, I think, last week about Elon Musk's Tesla factory in Fremont, sure. California. Have you have you heard about I this? haven't heard about I this. I only now. heard sort of the headline version of it, but not the, the whole story. Yes, yeah, so this is this is increasingly looking like a cross tech problem. So Elon Musk buys a car factory, but he's not doing it as a typical car factory this isn't manufacturing this is technology uh so yikes <laughs> when he's running so the uaw is kept out of the shop sure. and the stories coming out of the fremont plant and the guardian did a really good report on it are really bad like it has uh something like north of 30 percent higher serious injury rate oh, um, God. serious safety incident rate uh, on that production line and there's stories of people like passing out in the heat of the factory and just like falling on the floor and like you know breaking their faces open the, so there's ongoing like abusive labor practices and the solution that that musk is sort of putting forward is personal responsibility he is the owner takes this seriously and he's going to personally like check in on this and and make sure things are make sure things are on the up and up but we're not going to organize labor around here. We're not going to introduce God. these these regulations. We're not going to introduce like union observers. You know, we'll sort it out among ourselves. And so does that make everyone who buys a Tesla complicit in that? Sure, to a point, but let's not obscure who actually has the choice to decide how safe and humane the Fremont plant is, right? Yeah. Like doesn't care how much you like his rockets, the guy sees a problem, he has a chance to do the right thing. He ain't doing it. I think the same thing happens in video games as well. That's a really good point. All right, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask the next one here. Yeah. All right. I don't want to butcher this person's name. I'm gonna give my my best shot. It's from Yoga Karta. Nope. Yoga. From Steve in Yogya Karta. Oh, it's from Steve in Yogya Karta. All right. Sorry, misread <laughs> it. A little tired. E3. I have a little bit of the E3 too. E3 happened. The E3. To me. The E3 definitely <laughs> happened to me as well. All right, uh, Steve writes, just a question about settings in video games. So, video games are made by large teams of people all around the world. Despite this, it feels like American cities are almost the default setting for modern video games. And often, when we get away from an American city setting, it's to enter a developing country as an American to kill ah. lots of people and blow things up. Why do you think video games are so often set like this? Personally, I feel like video games are a perfect medium to take me to new locations, uh, be them fantasy or real world. Despite Assassin's Creed's boring mechanics, and it's not really using its setting well, 
when I play those games for the first few hours, I feel like I'm in a place that's new, where I can see and hear things I've never experienced before in a game. I just don't understand why games so often shy away from showing us new places and exposing us to new cultures. Often this can mean setting a game in the same country as the development team is in, thinking of lots of devs in Canada. I don't think I've ever played a game set there. Thanks for taking the time to read my email. Hope you all are having a good day. Well, thank you, Steve. Thanks. I think part of this here is is the sort of will it uh, play in Peoria factor of, uh, you know, publishers not wanting to uh, take massive risks with things when they spend millions and billions, I don't know, lots of money, many dollars on a thing, and they think, okay, what's the widest possible audience? Oh, yes, bland American culture. Yes, that's globalized. Let's go with that. Yeah, okay, Pittsburgh, whatever. Middle America, somewhere in California. You know, whatever they think is sort of recognizable as like a, a bland, globalized American kind of city. I do think there's also the issue of developers, for whatever reason, not wanting to, (laughs) this is funny, (laughs) but not wanting to take on another culture, do it poorly, and get sort of blasted for it. They're doing it by often sort of uh, marginalizing everyone else. You know, of course, we we all bag on, what is it, Ghost Recon Wildlands. Wildlands. It's Wildlands, right? Which is, yeah, you're an American, you come into another country and you're you're killing a whole lot of brown people and that happens a lot in a lot of games. So they're doing this whether or not they are <laughs> yeah. trying to do positive representation or not. So that's two things at play here. Uh, you folks have other thoughts? I think you're definitely onto something. Like the more interesting a setting is, the more probably research you more actually to need it. to do. <laughs> yeah, and there's probably more to it than it's just like, beautiful geographically speaking right right? like a lot of times when we're talking about oh i'd love to see something set against i'd love to see something set here in this place in time it's usually not i just want to go stare at you know pretty architecture it's usually there's something happening uh in that era as well yeah assassin's creed tries to have it both ways where it's like we're going to take this fascinating historical moment and say absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's safely removed enough that that they can get away with that. But like, if you know, if you wanted to do a story set in like you know Cape Town in the nineteen eighties or something like that, could be a fascinating setting. But who like who would be making that game? Who's qualified to tell that story? Right. Yeah, that's also a very good point. Yeah, I I think that. The idea of not saying anything or like that sort of standpoint is definitely kind of one of the biggest motivators behind the reason why like AAA games follow such a formulaic sort of uh, structure. Or even David Cage this week (laughs) saying, oh, you know, my game that clearly is taking on so many, you know, racial allegories with his uh, with Detroit become human uh, you know setting it the way it's set the the trailer you know starting with basically a, a you know a it was it was basically like a, a spiritual song right it was like a slave time yeah. song basically I don't know the proper term for that so I don't want to like a spiritual uh, right, okay spiritual yep. and then saying no I know this doesn't mean anything yeah like that is the most and it's like the main thing you can say. Yeah, it's such a cop out. Yeah. It's such a yes. like it's it's frustrating. And I think this is how I felt watching the Far Cry Five panel. Sure. Um, because I was really like, this is. I have so many expectations and so many hopes for Far Cry Five, and I felt kind of the same way that it was like, oh, this isn't like 
we like went to Montana and studied Montana, and so it's like about Montana <laughs> instead of it being about <laughs> anything. What it's actually yeah, about? What it's actually, maybe exactly. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is like so frustrating because you you I mean these people have the platform, right? Yes, and um, they have. They have the the resources and the ability to hire the people who have the personal experience yeah. or perspective, yeah. and increasingly it's bypassed and it's it's what's safe and so you know that's kind of frustrating. But I think Far Cry Five we may be able to pull more out of it not from the developer's voice but from the player's voice or from like not from the developer's experience mm-hmm. but from the player's experience which I'm really looking forward to and hopefully that remains true. Yeah, the Far Cry series has always been so interesting because it feels like you know folk folks in my circles feel like 2 of course is like the pinnacle of what it's of what it's doing and what it's saying and then 3 was like a huge <laughs> down point and then 4 was like all right, you're crawling out of this hole a little yeah. bit in certain ways. And now five is on the horizon as a, this could go great, or it could be the most bland, say yeah. nothing thing ever. And yeah. we're hoping for, <laughs> hoping for great, hoping yeah. for very interesting and nuanced. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, Far Cry. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to Waypoint Radio. Natalie, where can people find you online? They can find me at uh, on Twitter at Natalie Watson. Awesome. You can find me at Danielle R.I. You can find Rob at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Shoutouts, of course, go to Tim Barnes, Tim Barnes 451 on Twitter. Shoutouts to Dylan for producing this beautiful stream. And you can, of course, find all of our beautiful stuff. It's beautiful stuff. Uh, waypoint.vice.com, new.donk.city. There's actually a <laughs> list. There's a forum list of all of our, our awesome URLs, which is really nice. Uh, of course, you can follow... The usual folks, Austin Walker at Austin underscore Walker, Patrick Klepik at Patrick Klepik. Shoutouts to Bowen uh, for letting us use his, his track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. You can go to waypoint.zone slash Bowen to listen to more Bowen, see more Bowen. Thank you all very much. Again, you can find us Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook at Waypoint Vice, YouTube at Waypoint Vice. We've got Instagram. we got we've got all sorts of good stuff. Thank you so much. And as always, be good or be good at it. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.